0: Good morning. Well, as he said, my name is Brandon, one of the pastors here, and we are uh, in a series in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the story of Israel being delivered out of slavery and bondage of Egypt, and I, I want to catch us up uh, on where we are in that story. So Exodus began with uh, Israel enslaved in Egypt, and then God came and delivered them out of Egypt, and that's where we have the, the ten plagues, the, the ten plagues that are fairly well known. Um, and He led them out of Egypt and led them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai is where God gave the Ten Commandments, these ten words, these ten commands on how you are to live as my people, my distinct nation among all other nations. And then, a few chapters later, God says to Moses, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to leave the people of Israel at the base of the mountain. You're going to grab a few people, Aaron and a few others, and you're going to come, come halfway up the mountain. You're going to leave them there, halfway up, and then you will come to the top of the mountain into." my glory cloud, and the cloud of my glory. And you're going to spend 40 days and 40 nights up here. And while you're up here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you all the instructions you need on how and where to come into my presence. But while Moses is up there, uh, the, the people of Israel start building this golden calf, and they worship the golden calf. And then as we saw last week, Moses comes down. He's got tablets in his hand, and he just throws them down, shatters them on the base of the mountain. And chapters 33 and 34 are a response to what happened in chapter 32. But in these two chapters, there's two themes that get really developed. The theme of presence and of glory. So the cloud of glory that Moses went up to where he got uh, uh, instructions on how and where to come into the presence of God. Those two themes, glory and presence, they get developed. And so while there is a lot of overlap between the two, uh, we're going to parse them out and we're going to talk about presence this week and glory this week next week. Sound good? Say yes, we're doing it. All right. So let's talk presence. Like what is it? Why does it matter? Um, I read something this week citing a survey that said the people who grew up in the church, who left the church, that they would go back to church if they knew that they were going to have a meaningful encounter with God. That was the number one reason. Now I, I found this really interesting. Uh, I would have thought the number one reason given would have been something like friends or relationship or acceptance, but it wasn't. The number one reason was a meaningful encounter with God. Why would that be the number one reason? Here's why: because the human soul was made for a meaningful encounter with God. You're made for it. I was made for it. You were made for it. But here's the thing: there is no meaningful encounter without presence. You don't have a meaningful encounter without presence. Let me let me illustrate. I think Denzel Washington is the absolute coolest man. I just do like I don't know why anybody doesn't want to be like Denzel Washington. Every role he's played, every interview I've seen, I've just thought I should have been Denzel. <laughs> every time. Now, if Someone set up a phone call between me and Denzel, that would be awesome. But that is not the same as someone setting up a dinner. Somebody setting up a phone call, if any of you guys know Denzel, if you're on a first name basis, set the phone call up. I would love that. But setting up a phone call is not the same as setting up a dinner where we can sit face to face and talk to one another. Why? Because a meaningful encounter with someone requires presence. It just does. This was true for Israel, it's true for us, and throughout the book of Exodus, God has said, I will go with you. I will be with you. And now we hit a chapter where God says, no, I won't. No, I won't. My presence is not going to go among you. And so here's what we're going to look at today. One, why were they losing his presence? Why were they losing it? Two, if they lose it, what are they missing? What are they missing by not having his presence? And then three, what changes when you do have it? All right, so why were they losing it? What was missing if they did? And how do you get it? What changes when you have it? All right, let's start with why were they losing it verse one. The Lord said it to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So this is the Lord saying to Moses, hey, it's time. There's a land that I promised, and it's time for you to take the people from Sinai to that land. But here's the deal. I'm going to send an angel. I'm not going to be there. I'm going to send an angel to lead you, but I'm not going to be there among you, Moses. I'm not going to be among the people. There will be an angel there to lead you, but it won't be me. Now, in the context, this is really just astounding, because if we broaden out our scope and we went back to the book of Genesis. So Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It, it, in the beginning of the story was God saying to a man named Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your, ha- your, your land. Leave your country and go to a new place, a new land I'm going to give you. And there's going to be people that that I'm going to form, this nation, this community, this Israel, I'm going to form them. They're going to live in the land. And then Moses just spent 40 days, 40 nights, up at the top of the mountain, learning how to come, where to come, into the presence of God in that land. And here he is saying, listen, the land, it's there, but I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be among them. Now when he says, I will not be in their midst... Here's what it's saying, because what Moses learned at, at the top of the mountain was that there was going to be this tabernacle, this dwelling place for God in the middle of the people. What that means when he says, I will not be in their midst, is that he will not allow them to construct the tabernacle, the purpose of which was that I, God, may dwell in their midst. In other words, the symbol of God's presence with his people will not be built. That was how you came into the presence of God, God is saying, I'm not going to be there, therefore there is no need for the temple, the tabernacle. Now, if we're just reading surface layer in here, this seems like a bit of an overreaction. I hear from my wife that I overreact a lot. This seems like an overreaction. Just on the surface, it just seems like an overreaction. They made one mistake, built the calf, and now I'm not going to be among them. And it might be, unless we remember what happened, and last week we really developed this out, that when they built that calf and worshipped it, here's what was happening. Spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. They were breaking the covenant that they were in. If I could be crass about it, they were the spouse caught laying with somebody else. This is no overreaction. The point being that they were losing the presence of God because they were unfaithful. They had walked away from the covenant that they were in. God said, my presence will not go among you. Now, um, chapters 32 through 34 in Exodus are really one unit of thought. and These opening, chap- opening verses in chapter 33 are a bridge from what came before to what comes after. And so what I want to do is just pause for a minute, walk the bridge backward to where we were last week, and pause on something because it's something I think we need to see. Because it began at last week with a warning to us. And we need to hear that warning because I think that there is probably a temptation in us to go, well, listen, that, like, that, that was for then, this is now, and so that was Old Testament. We are New Testament. That was how God interacted with Israel. But God doesn't do that with the church in the New Testament. God doesn't take his presence away from his people in the New Testament. Here's the problem with that and why this warning is still for us. Because if we fast forward to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it opens with these seven uh, statements to seven different churches. And in one of them, it's, it's to the church in Ephesus, which is where we get the book of Ephesians from. And this is what it says in the middle of that. It says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, this is, this is important. This is important wording right here. Because listen, Sojourn, I think that what the Lord has done in us is beautiful, and you are a faithful people. So were they. It doesn't say, here's what I have against you. You never had any love in you. It's Here's what I've got against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. You started faithful, but now I've got to address you some other way. You abandoned the love that you had at first, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Now, most commentators, um, every commentator I could find, agreed that the love that they had at first was love for Christ and the church, love for Christ and his people. And it says, you've abandoned that love, and therefore, if you don't repent of that, I'm going to come and remove the lampstand from among you. Do, do you know where a lampstand shows up for the first time in the Bible? Exodus 25 right in the heart of Moses getting instructions from God about how to come into his presence. He says, I'm going to remove the lampstand from among you. It's, I'm going to remove the presence of God from among you. I'm going to treat you like the apostate Israel, the one who's walked away from the covenant. Listen, I don't want us to gloss over warnings in the Bible. I don't want us to read warnings in the Bible and to just gloss over them as if they're irrelevant for us, because let me tell you, one of the ways that the Lord keeps us faithful is by us hearing and heeding the warnings that he has given us in the scriptures. One of the ways that he keeps us faithful is us hearing the warnings about not being unfaithful that we find in the scriptures. Israel was losing God's presence because they had been unfaithful. They had walked away from the covenant, from that relationship. And so now question two becomes this, what what are they missing if they don't have it? If they've walked away from the presence of God, they don't have the presence of God. What, what, What are they missing if they don't have it? Well, the text is going to highlight three things. The first one is intimacy, relationship. Let me show you. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please Show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, this is the Lord, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. First he says, I know you by name. I know you by name. One commentator summarized it like this, that Moses quotes God as saying, I know you by name. This is a statement implying great intimacy and bonding. God never uses it of anyone else in the Bible. I think that's really fascinating right there. Because what's happening is that Moses is trying to mediate this relationship between the people and God. He's trying to reconcile a broken relationship, and he does so by appealing to the relationship that he has with God. And it's interesting because in verse 11, which we didn't read, verse 11 in the middle of this passage, we didn't read it, but it says, "...the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face, face as, uh, as a man speaks to his friend. But then in verse 14, do, do you see the word presence? Do you see the word presence? It's the same word as face. So my, the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face, face, my presence will go with you. Presence is the same word as face. So literally what it's saying is my face will go with you. My face will go with you. That is intimate language. Let me illustrate it. If my wife and I are in a room like this, and I'm standing in one corner, and she's standing in another, back to one another, and we're yelling at each other. Like, we're in the same room, but that's not nearly the same as us being in a room, looking at each other, looking one other in the eye a few inches apart, laughing together. One is intimate, one is not. Face to face, looking each other in the eye, intimate, standing in the corners of the room, back to each other, yelling, not. If you guys have a roommate or have ever had a roommate, you've probably experienced something like this. Friction, ice in the air, I don't want to speak to you, and so roommates just live their life in their own rooms, never come out and converse with one another. What is that? You're, you're in the room, like you're in the same house, you're present in the same house together, the same apartment together, but that's not the same as spending time together, looking each other in the eye, eating meals together, being in the living room together. One is intimate, one is not. Presence here means face. It means intimacy. It means a depth of relationship. If they don't have it, that's what they're missing. But that's an all that they're missing. They're also missing a distinctiveness, life as a distinctive nation among the nations. Let me show you. Let's keep reading verse 15. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Listen to what Moses is saying here, because it really is, uh, it really is, I, uh, I know I've said astounding already, it's astounding, I don't have a better word right now, it really is. Like Moses is saying, listen, hey, you, you know what makes us a distinct people from all other peoples on the face of the earth? You. Your presence among us, that is what makes us a distinct people from all other peoples on the earth. Moses would say it like this, listen, every nation, it's got laws, every religion, it's got a set of instructions, moral code, or uh, rituals, way that you worship. You, you want to know what makes us different from every other nation out there? They don't have you they don't have you. You are what makes us distinct from every other nation, every other religion out there. And so if you are in here and you think, um, I, I really, I really kind of believe that all religions are the same. All religions are the same. M- I think Moses would say to you, sure, there's a veneer of that where all religions have a moral code, a set of religious instructions, but let me tell you the difference." where they have ways in which you kind of earn your way potentially, possibly to God. Only one says God came and he dwells and he's in our midst. Moses is saying, listen, this is what makes us distinct from every other nation on the face of the earth. You, don't take yourself away from us. Don't take yourself away from us. You are what makes us distinct from every other nation on earth. So how does God respond to verse 17? And the Lord said it to Moses... This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sights, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you that my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. This so is the Lord saying to Moses, listen, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I will do it. You, you are the objects of my mercy and my grace and I will do it. I'll do it. But, there's always a but in the Bible. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by I will put you in the, on a uh, in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not shall not be seen. Moses, here, here's what's going to happen. I, I'm gonna gonna put you in a place on the mountain. I'm gonna pass by, and you're gonna see my back, but you can't see my face. Emphasis on the word "see." You can't see my face, Moses. You cannot see my face, not right now. Why? because there's a third thing that they are missing when they don't have it. It's acceptance. So I think Moses right here is being treated as a representative for Israel, and to see the face is to gain acceptance into one's presence. I like think the Lord is saying, listen, there's consequences to their actions. There's consequences, Moses, to what just happened. There are consequences to what they have done, and right now, Moses, you can't see my face. We can't speak face to face as a man to a friend, not right now. But Moses, it won't be this way forever. Moses, it's not going to be this way forever because let me, let me tell you, Moses, you're going you're gonna to get to build the tabernacle. You're going to get to build the place where I come and I will dwell among my people. And let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be this room called the Holy of Holies. It's going to be the most holy place right Deep in the heart of it. But here's the deal, Moses. In that room, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be dark. It's going to be dark. You're not going to be able to see in that room, Moses. But let me tell you what, Moses. One day you will. One day you will. Because one day, the true holy of holies, Jesus my son, is going to come as the light of the world. And when he does, you will see. And when you see, this is what you're going to see for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, "Let light shine out of darkness," has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All that Moses wanted, you have in the face of Jesus. You have it. It's there. You were made for it. You were made to be face to face with God. Jesus came, turned His face upon. You have it. But it doesn't stop with Jesus first coming. If we fast forward to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22, this is the end of the story. Listen to how it goes. I think it's just. Verse 1 Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Man, should we preach a sermon on that. Not right now, though. No longer, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His... Okay, wait a minute. When I do this, that's you guys. They will see His face. His face, you were, you were made for this. You were made for it. When we read in Exodus, my face will go with them. My face will go with them. You know what that is? It's a foreshadow of this. It's a foreshadow to this day. This day. This eternal day when you are face to face in the presence of God. You were made for it. You are made for this day. You were not made to live your life in two separate corners, you on one, God on another, backs to one another. You were made face-to-face relationship, intimate, deep, communal relationship with God. That's what you were made for. You were made for it. And when you have it, let me tell you what changes. You have all that Israel was missing. All that Israel was missing, you have. You have acceptance, you have relationship, and you have distinctiveness. The face of Jesus, this is what you have. You have acceptance. You, you don't have to spend your life wondering if you have it. You don't have to spend your life afraid that you don't. You don't have to spend your life trying to earn it, doing, just doing, just doing, just doing. That's what the religions around Israel did. This is when God comes and dwells, turns his face upon you. You have it. You don't have to spend your life afraid that you don't. And if you have acceptance, then you have relationship. Relationship with God. You're wired for relationship with God. You got a face to face, intimate relationship with God that God has turned his face upon you. He's turned his face upon you. Turned it upon you. And listen, life, man, life is hard. Can I get a witness? It just is. Life in a broken world is just difficult. There is mess, there is disease, there is death, there is relationships that fall apart. Life in a broken world is difficult. And when it is, how easy is it to think God has turned his back on me? So easy. Oh, how... I mean, this is a room of adults. We all know how easy it is to think God has turned his back on me, but that is not the narrative of the Scriptures. The narrative of the Scriptures is this. You have it. He has turned his face upon you and you will eternally have it. Now, we, we can turn our back upon him, but he doesn't turn his back upon us. He has set the face of his son on you. He has not turned his back on you. And if you have a relationship, you also have distinctive. You have being a distinct people, an alternate community inside our larger community. An alternate society inside our larger society. listen, Nobody comes into a relationship with God and goes unchanged. Nobody. Just like when I got married, my dating habits radically changed. Amen? Nobody comes into a relationship with God and goes unchanged. Nobody. You, You encounter God, you are changed. Your life gets changed. And together we become a different people, a distinctive people. And so if we have this acceptance that leads to a relationship, that leads to a distinctive life as a distinctive person and as a distinctive community. How then do we cultivate this distinctiveness, this alternate community? Well, I'm going to give four things. None of them are new. None of them are novel. If these are new and novel, we have failed you. Here they are. Bible, church, table, prayer. You go where God says, I'm uniquely present and where I speak. Bible, church, table, prayer. Bible, you open the Scriptures, open the Scriptures and read them. And listen, I, I want to. you don't have to really understand them necessarily. Like the Bible says the Bible is hard to understand. Don't stop reading it because it's hard to understand. And don't think that if I don't have this like emotionally whatever experience when I read it or I, I can't come up with something profound to think or to say that I can't Read it. Just open it up and read it. It is God's Word to you. It is Him speaking to you. Just open the Scriptures and read them. And then the church. God says, I dwell among a people. Listen. The church is so much more than a place that offers certain programs or doesn't offer certain programs. So much more than a place that has good preaching or doesn't have good preaching so much more than a place that has music I like or doesn't have music that I like. It is the people where God dwells. You can have all the programs in the world or no programs, and you know what you are? You're a place where God dwells. You can have, I mean, all world preaching, or you can have me. And you know what, the place where God dwells. Like you can have the best music in the world, or you can have no music. And you know what the church is? The place where God dwells. The place where you get to look each other in the face and see God looking at me. It's the place where God dwells. And then the table, the communion table, where God comes and says, hey, come and have a meal with me. Week in, week out, come and have a meal with me. And listen, this is what I want you to remember in that meal. I want you to remember that we don't sit in opposite corners of a room and we're not just conversing over a telephone. This is a table where you come, you look me in the face, I look you in the face, and we have a meal together. You come to my table. And then there's prayer. Prayer. When you encounter God, when you come into his presence, let me tell you what happens. It changes the way that you pray. It changes the way that you pray. Did you, did you see Moses' prayer in there? Show me your glory. Show me your glory. God, show us your glory. Of course, we pray for daily needs. Jesus did give us our daily bread. But he also prayed your kingdom come. When you come into the presence of God, it changes the way that you pray. We pray for our needs, but it just lifts us up. And we pray things like show us your glory. We need to see it. Show me your glory. It changes the way that we pray. What does it mean to pray for God's glory? That is next week. For now, you are made for presence with God. You are made for it. And in this presence, here's what you have. You have all that Israel was missing. You have acceptance, you have relationship, and you have a distinctiveness to you. You've been made to be a distinct people. Made for it. You are made for presence with God. You are made for an encounter with God. So open the scriptures give your life to the church, run to the table, and open your mouth in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, for this text, this place where we can put it in the larger narrative of the scriptures and see God with us, Emmanuel who has come, who has set his face upon us that we can see the face of Jesus. Thank you for Revelation 22. Thank you for Revelation 22 that we can look at and we can see, we will see your face and we can know that we've been made for intimate relationship with you. That is what we have been hardwired for. Help us live into it. Help us live into it. Help us live into a people as a people deeper into your presence. We know that that takes sustaining grace, sustaining grace from you and so we're asking for it. We're asking in Christ's name. Amen.